This episode brought to you by Lano Lips, the Aussie-made lip balm voted world's best using ultra-pure-grade Aussie lanolin because healthy skin starts with hydration. Let's discuss episode four, Alive, where we see the return of Enid, an almost threesome, dick pics and dusty balls. Oh, yes, they're definitely putting all of the sex back into the city this season. Joining me for our Ep4 review is journalist, presenter, podcaster and president of the Aiden Fan Club. It's Joe Casamento. Welcome back, Joe. Hello, Sammy. I like that. I, was, I wondered where you were going with president of what <laughs> club, but I like that club. I'm happy to be president and longstanding member and all of the above. I'm going to get your thoughts on Aiden a little later, but what are your thoughts on season two so far? I think, you know, from season one, I was, I've just been incredibly frustrated and disappointed for so many reasons. I thought from the outset, the marketing was wrong. This is a brand new show entirely. It is nothing like Sex in the City. I wanted the characters to care about something other than their looks and their money, if that was the direction they were going, but I don't really see any of that. My friends and I, I don't know about you, but actually discuss real pain and sadness, but we find strength and support from our shared lives. I'm not seeing that either. I see a bunch of vapid women and they're just so overstyled. It feels so stuffed. And I don't know about you, but as you get older, you want to be more comfortable. Look at me today. Have you ever seen me in a, a jumper? Um, and the good news, Sammy, is I can't believe I'm about to say this, but could it be that this episode is finally finding its footing. You know, I was laughing, I was giggling, and the Charlotte conversation, I just had me giggling. <laughs> I just am excited. Finally, it seems like we are landing somewhere that feels familiar, and I'm all here for it. Well, you touched on an interesting point there. Do we want it to represent real life, or do we want it to be escapism? Because I'm wondering, maybe I would kind of enjoy the show more if I stopped trying to make sense of it. And I am still watching for those old Sex in the City moments, but as you so rightly say, and everyone keeps saying, it's not Sex in the City, it's a different show, and just like that. But can we make special mention of Carrie's hair in this episode? Something has happened. This episode, her hair is magnificent. I'm with you. I think she's finally found the right look with her hair, not so much her hair accessories. I just noticed, and it feels inappropriate to even mention this in this episode, which really is a lot about ageism, but it looks like the greys have gone and she's back to that kind of blonde just her hair was just fabulous in every scene. But I feel bad saying that because I think it's because the greys are gone. <laughs> I know. Look, I'm with you. I tell my sisters all the time, no one wants to see it. You don't want to feel it. You don't want to feel your age. I might be as vacuous as the cast it's sounding like, but there is some things that you can do that can make you feel better about yourself. And if that's one of them, I'm I'm there for it. I met Miranda's hair back to its glorious redness. I'm not a huge Miranda fan, as you know, but I am loving. In fact, I think she had one of the best looks of the episode, to be honest. That beautiful caftan she wore at one point. It's actually glorious. It's a real 60s sort of um, moment. I, I, I was all there for her LA look, to be honest. Are you telling me you actually liked Miranda's L.A. fashion? Not her L.A. in L.A. fashion, but I feel like she's brought it back to New York and when she met with Che at her apartment, there was a look I actually didn't mind. What is this saying about me? I don't know. It was comfortable. Maybe that yeah. is saying something about me. It's nothing more comfy than a caftan. But, yes, That's this true. this episode really had a lot of discussions about ageism 
And it all kicked off with former Vogue editor Enid walking through the cafe, spotting Carrie, but trying to avoid her. I loved just these little moments. We've all done it, right? You see someone you know. You don't necessarily dislike them. You just don't want to stop and have a chat. So you pretend you can't see them. Have you done that too? Is it just me? Oh, plenty of times. And usually when, you know, you, you look at, you always bump into someone you need to impress or a former boss or a former, you know, partner or something when you're looking your absolute worst, don't you? And you just want to hide. Um, but in this episode, I loved it. It was finally some of that old Carrie spark. I know Big died and she had to be all sad in the first season, but this was, you know, banter and, you know, all that awkwardness that I actually loved seeing that between Carrie and Enid. I thought that brought that all back out and that was fabulous to watch. Enid tried to ignore her, but then Carrie, of course, spots her. And that's because Carrie wants to promote her book. An online comment I read said, if Carrie's having trouble selling her book, maybe she should hire Samantha back as her publicist. Mm, good point. I loved yeah. that Enid was honest about not wanting to say hello and even then when she lies about the email and then says no actually I did get your email I just love that raw honesty it's like she's she's thinking I'm too old to play games or tell lies so I'm just going to tell you the truth I tried to avoid you I pretended I didn't see your email and if you don't like it that's a you problem not a me problem (laughs) I'm with you I was um you know, there's been so much criticism about whether this was, you know, ageist and and criticisms of Carrie being immature and all those sorts of things. But I felt like this uh, storyline was actually something real. It is a it is a real thing struggling with age and picturing yourself differently. You don't feel differently, but you look differently. And I just felt like this explored so much about the truth of how some of us feel, not everyone, obviously, but for some of us. And even though there's been a lot about this series that's been cringing, this was real cringe. Does that make sense? It was um, actually internally how some of us do feel. Maybe it was Um, cringing with them rather than cringing at them. Good point. Good point. And I just loved that, as you said, Enid was able to just say it like it is. Carrie's face when Enid's having the conversation about her Ask Enid newsletter and then she's launching this online magazine, French for a Lie, Vivant. And she says, for women our age, and just that subtle little cutaway of Carrie's face, just her face like, what, me? And you're right, there has been some criticism online that Carrie was being immature and disrespectful but this is the interesting point, Joe, because I have the utmost respect for women of all age, but I'd be mortified if someone thought I was 70. Oh, a thousand percent. I actually I, but I actually went back to watch her face because I was mortified <laughs> for her. I, you're right. I was feeling it with her. Um, and it doesn't mean that she's being disrespectful or she's not part of a sorority of women. Um, she doesn't have compassion and respect for older women. I just thought it was real. But you're right. I was with Carrie, not cringing at her. But when she gets to the event and um, Seema warns her not to be photographed with the Zimmer frame, <laughs> I can so relate. It's like it's not on brand. You're trying to be young and groovy still. Do not get in a photo with those ladies in a Zimmer frame. And you can see awkwardly try and bypass them. And I just related to that yeah. so much. Of course, the first, the first thing that happens when Carrie arrives at the party is she's asked to be in a photo with a woman in a Zimmer frame. Uh, and again, SJP's acting in that moment was brilliant. But that advice comes from Seema and we see Carrie and Seema at coffee. Can we talk about Carrie's weird pirate hat? 
And I know there's a lot of headwear going on in this series, which I'm loving, but I miss that whole pirate hat memo. I couldn't work out what they were trying to do with that. I felt like it was a bit witchy. In fact, um, I've skipped ahead to the next episode, which I won't ruin for anyone, but there's a Halloween scene in that and it's probably would have been more, you know... (laughs) And in that scene, it really was, I I was confused, but you know what, Carrie never got her hats right. So, but again, it goes back to that uncomfortableness, like who would be wearing that at brunch? But who Um, would wear that hat anywhere? Not forget about brunch. Just don't leave the house in it. I love, and I've talked about this in all of the episodes so far. I love this friendship between Seema and Carrie. I love where it's going. Uh, More scenes of them together. It's just giving me those Carrie Samantha vibes, which I'm not ashamed to say. But I loved in this episode that we got more of business Seema and we got boss Seema giving Carrie some really amazing business advice, practical advice, like where she says to Carrie, everything is a negotiation. Go to that old lady event and work it. I love seeing that side of Seema. I'd like to see more of that. Yeah, of all the new characters, they could all disappear for me without a trace except for Seema. I would really miss her. I Actually, as I said, I've always been someone that's never ever, ever successfully negotiated a pay rise or anything sensible. And I was actually listening to Seema's advice, you know, the fact that she said, don't be afraid to be transactional. Uh, she's a work colleague. She's not a girl pal. She wants something from you. You want something from her and don't be afraid of that. And I do love their friendship. I feel like it feels a bit more real than any of the other forged ones that are happening with the other new characters in this show. So, yeah, I'm loving Seema. At the moment, she seems to be the only character in the cast who has real agency over her life and her career. She knows what she wants. She's unapologetic. She's smart as well. Like, she's actually got a brain. We used to see that from Miranda, and that's gone. None of that coming from Miranda this season. Miranda's a hot mess, but I think you're absolutely, you've hit the nail on the head because the difference I think with this Seema character is she re- reflects what we were used to seeing. Even though Carrie was always insecure, she was still in charge of her wardrobe and her apartment and what she wanted in life and how she wanted to present herself. Miranda, as you have quite rightly pointed out, has just lost the pot. She's gone from being this amazing lawyer with a career who was in charge of what she wanted and out of smart. life and now she's incredibly smart and now she's just a confused mess following uh Che around like a puppy dog a ridiculous puppy dog you know Samantha obviously had agency over her sex and her career and and everything in her life and Charlotte um had agency over what she wanted to be her goals in being a, a wife and a mother but they they did it without apology and I think that's what's happened but maybe that happens as we age do we get more confident some women do but do some women get more insecure True. Of Mm. course, at Coffee with Seema, uh, Carrie mentions some random guy keeps sending her photos and and text messages. I think he says, a friend gave me your number. Not okay. Would you ever give out a friend's personal number to a potential suitor without asking her first? Never in real life. But Bitsy's a kind of not faux friend. She's a genuine friend, but she's a bit of an outsider friend. And it does seem an odd sort of thing. But without showing them a profile photo and asking permission. Um, And I just think Bitsy's such an over-the-top character, it is almost believable that she would go ahead and do that. But don't you love it Uh, when friends try and set you up with someone? Like Bitsy thinks, she actually thinks she's doing Carrie a favour by setting her up with this old dude with the big penis. But it was just so offensive to Carrie in every way. 
hundred percent. But um, and especially for him to just infiltrate or penetrate, we'll keep using these <laughs> euphemisms. Uh, her inbox like that is very offensive. I agree for it to just <laughs> pop up. Enid's event. Let's let's skip forward to Enid's event before we go to Miranda and and Charlotte and Lisa. How fabulous Gloria Steinem being there. I mean, that was a, a cameo. Last episode, I think, or the one before, we had Tony Danza, and I thought, well, that's a pretty good cameo. But then mm. we get Gloria Steinem. Look, she's not a great actress, but it was nice to see her there. And then as they've been doing, I think, with this series, that contrast of lightness and weightiness. So having Gloria Steinem doing this incredibly empowering speech about ageism and talking about how maybe the new frontier is ageing, whilst Carrie is looking at a dick pic of this old guy that Bitsy's trying to set her up with. So there was that real contrast there that I love. But just Carrie's face when she got the picture of his penis, it was just priceless. <laughs> that moment. Like I did laugh out loud when that photo I, came I up. I was with you I, I, and I actually paused it on that photo because I was trying to understand the human tripod scenario. <laughs> it was it was definitely a moment and the one thing though even though Vivant is not a real magazine and it is as Carrie points out a sort of retirees sort of market it did actually make me really think about all these fabulous women still in our presence still amazing still awe-inspiring and um what a fabulous room of women. And it was almost, you know, I had been with Carrie, as I said, in, you know, sort of cringing at the idea of hanging out with Zimmer frame women. But once you got to the event, apart from the text messaging, um, it was actually an inspiring crowd and an inspiring room. And I thought, wow, um, yeah, we need to see more of these fabulous women. But let's not forget that ageism was something that the original Sex in the Cities um presented in a way you know samantha was in her 40s and treated like a dried up prune let's be honest you know she had to start wearing reading glasses or she thought she had menopause or she had a gray pube no wonder kim didn't want to come back to this because she would almost be that age group so i think that would have been a strange arc with samantha back and presenting a storyline like this of course carrie is battling her own she says she's battling her own deep-seated ageism and then she agrees to write for the magazine which is where the punchline comes where Enid says, oh, no, I don't want your writing. I want your money. You know, you got the $100,000. You got Big's dead person money, as James Weir referred to it in episode one. It was, as Seema said, that transactional relationship. And it always has been between Enid and Carrie. It was perfect. It was perfect, Enid. It surprised me because I thought, I really thought, oh, Carrie's going to start writing for, for this, um, you know, retirees website. But when Enid drops that, it just all makes sense. Mind you, I did gasp. I know she has Big's money, but $100,000 US? I'm like, wow, these people have serious money, right? If they can just invite them to an event and uh, get that kind of funds. I work for a not-for-profit now, and I know those kind of funds don't come by every day. So, <laughs> um, so I was kind of floored and reminded because we we sort of forget Carrie has all this money now, doesn't yeah. she? And she doesn't really flash it around. So um, it, that was kind of a moment of like, oh, my God, this writer can afford that. Oh, of course, she's got big bank. But what do you think that there. says about Carrie? Because you're right. Like, she's obviously got a lot of money, but she's back in her old little apartment. And as you say, other than her outfits, which she obviously spends a lot of money on clothes and shoes and stuff, she doesn't really flaunt her wealth. 
Uh, can I just say, and you might have to go back to your first season of podcasts, but I called that in one of the very first episodes. You said to me, where's she going to live now with all this money? She, you know, and I said, she'll go back to her own apartment. And yeah. you argued with me that she never yeah. would. And I was right. Yeah. Because that apartment has always been her identity. And yes, it's got nice wallpaper now. Mm. Um, and you know, she's now poaching eggs and... <laughs> It's, you know, a little bit flashier, but... It's still got that ex- tiny wardrobe that there's no way she could fit her clothes in. So she's she's actually bought all of the apartments in that building except for Lisette's. <laughs> Every other apartment in that block is filled with her clothes and she just lives in that one. That's my theory. Where else does she store all those stupid hats and shoes I and clothes? I real for a minute there. I, I was thinking, have I missed an episode? When did this happen? No, that's what I'm suggesting. But yeah, um, I love that... Carrie says to Enid, if I give you $100,000, I have to give everyone $100,000. It's like... I did like the one-liner at the end of that. I think she says, you know, they became PayPal friends or PayPals, PayPals. And it was like, oh, that was that. That was a good one-line. That was the kind of line we were used to. I love that moment where Carrie asks for a photo with Gloria and Enid, her two role models, right? And Enid does the old after the photos have taken, give me your phone so I can delete the ones I look awful in. Like we all do that, right? And she sees Marlon's pecker and from that somehow recognises it's her boyfriend, how she could identify him by a close-up of his penis. I'm not sure. Could you? Do you reckon you could ever identify a partner by a close-up of his penis? I've never been one for DPs, can I just say. I've never asked for one. No. I have sent one or two in my time. But, but could um, you recognise your partner's penis in a lineup? I, I'm not sure. I, I mean, unless there were completely very different looking ones, <laughs> obviously they might stand out. But um, on a whole, probably not. But didn't you think that was actually really real? Like she didn't want to be in the photo with the Zimmer frame woman, but give a moment with the same age woman who's powerful and a celebrity and got all those things Gloria Steinem comes with. She's cool to be in a photo with, isn't that so? Yeah, but they were her role models. I know, but that's so, I felt like that was real, but that was, isn't that classic that we do do that? Someone wrote online about that scene of Sarah Jessica Parker, Candice Bergen and Gloria Steinem posing in a photo together, how iconic the three of them are. But someone wrote online that scene of those three iconic women posing for a photo in this shockingly bad TV show seemed to capture the weirdness of and just like that perfectly. Well, that's dead spot on. It's um, accurate. But I did think, oh, I would have been insisting on a better lighted area and certainly (laughs) uh, someone to take it from a higher stance. It wasn't a very flattering angle. There was an interesting moment as well where Enid then gets offended because she she realises Carrie recognises her boyfriend's pecker, so she must be dating her. And you know what that took me back to? Remember in her Vogue days, wasn't Enid upset with Carrie for dating Petrovsky? Because she was like, wait a minute, he's in my age group. Like, I should be dating Petrovsky. And she was a bit jealous. It's like, you're stealing another man from my dating pool. Oh, it all gets so hard, doesn't it? The dating pool, it's so limited. Terrible. More Enid, I say. I hope we see more Enid. I definitely hope we see more Enid. She's just, um, and you know what? She brings Carrie to life. She obviously affects Carrie on a level that not many characters do. So I think she brings that spark out that we love seeing. It's like a sparring partner. And she shocks Carrie. Carrie has to toughen up. Her responses have to be quicker. and, And she has to actually think about, Think about what she's presented with. And I think that that is something I could see more of. 
let's talk about Charlotte and Harry sending the kids off to school camp or summer fun, whatever they call it. And in this episode, we really see naughty Charlotte back. As someone described her once online, she's prim on the outside and very randy on the inside. I love that side of Charlotte. She's just loving life. Why are you shaking your head? Because uh, I'm picturing Harry and I remember in, is it one of the movies or was it the first? I can't remember where we actually see him with his, it, it's a fake appendage on. So suddenly that flashed into my mind. Forgive me. Um yeah, Charlotte and Harry's relationship, I'm living for. I think that is actually the uh, fun, you know, the fun part of the series that um, we always loved. And I'm just loving Charlotte and seeing the intricacies. I mean, I could live without some of them, too much <laughs> detail, like when we see them doing the pelvic floor um, the exercises. Ex- the Kegel exercises and then Charlotte, says, oh, I do three sets of 10 Kegels three times a day. And then he grabs her crotch as like it's a steel trap down there. Do you think it was a stunt crotch? No, 100%. (laughs) But sorry, can we backtrack? Three sets of Kegels three times a day, does she say? Three sets of 10 Kegels three times a day. Now, I've never had children, right? You've had three. Is this something that all women who've had babies, is that something you really focus on is the Kegels? (laughs) Well, you are told, but it's a bit like when you're, you know, told by the dentist to extra floss, floss. your teeth or whatever. It's kind of good advice, but who does it? And, you know, you know, I was quite, I was like, I actually did think about that. I was like, oh, my God, she does that many a day. That's crazy. But Charlotte can't you is- imagine Charlotte doing that? Because Charlotte is as ditzy as she can appear. She is very focused. Okay, so the reason Harry's doing all these Kegels is because he's uh, run out of juice or has dust balls, as Anthony calls them. I think the official term was retrograde ejaculation. <laughs> I loved everything about this, I've got to say. Cut to the girls and Anthony having lunch, which they are my favourite scenes. That When they're all together at lunch, you know the magic is going to happen. And when it's the three girls, how good is it to have Miranda back in New York? I'm so with you. I think this was the moment... I felt for the first time in the whole two seasons back at home and the chemistry was natural, the flow of conversation, not cringy, even though the subject matter was, you know, we're talking about jizz and Joe, it was a little cringy. Come on. Oh, no, I loved it because it was provocative but in the right way. Like, and I've never heard of this phenomenon. So I actually like the first series was learning things. You learned something. I love that the easy banter between them and it's interesting with that fourth character without Samantha there, they can put Seema in there or they can put Lisa Todd Wexley in there or they can put Anthony in. I think Anthony's my favourite fourth wheel in those lunch scenes. Well, no, I'm going to disagree with you. I think it only works because Anthony was in that scene. He brings the the shade and the uh, the definitely the Samantha sort of spark that um, we miss when it's the other ladies. It's just it just doesn't have the same chemistry. I think Anthony fills the spot perfectly. Bring on more brushes. Well, well, in this conversation, as who was it said he's the only ejaculator in the group? I think. <laughs> There was, I mean, how many times can you say jizz in one conversation? Harry has a squeamishness to her, which I um, find very hard to sort of correlate in her personality and that she's, you know, this sex writer, 
but she's incapable of talking about vaginal dryness or using even that word. You know, she talks to everything down there. But then suddenly in this scene, yes, yes, she's yes, yes, yes. <laughs> like what was it three or four times? It's like. Oh, hang on. Well, why is this suddenly something she's at ease with? Um, there is a disconnect and- there because, yes, in the last episode or the one before, she had a problem just saying vagina and down there. But in this scene, she's throwing jizz around like nobody's business. But someone made a comment online that said, why do people keep referring to Carrie as a sex writer? She wasn't. She was a how to find a man in New York writer. And she she didn't, did she really talk about sex that much or was it more about relationships and dating? It is an interesting point, um, but here's the bit which frustrates me about Carrie is, and you and I know this, Sammy, you have to adapt to the world around you and and move forward. And Carrie was always someone that was ahead of the curve and able to adapt in that way. And I feel like the fact that she has stayed in that 20, 30-something-year-old mindset where she can't talk about those things, just not uh, not accurate because if she wanted to stay with the times but also maintain a career and she had that podcast she would have had to have gotten over her prudishness in that sense and inability to talk about those things because let's be honest she wouldn't have had a podcast in this day and age if Mm. she wasn't able to it was funny how miranda talks about jizz free sex as like an upgrade whereas charlotte's like oh i love it it's like the fourth of july and i think my favorite line out of the whole episode and I'm so glad I've put the explicit warning on this podcast is when Miranda says who knew you were a cum slut I died it was so good and just even that first scene where Harry's like you know it's it's not your birthday it's not and I'm allowed to come on your tits (laughs) so they think they're being so naughty and it's just so um hilarious but what's even funnier than Miranda calling Charlotte a cum slut is the throwaway line from Anthony afterwards where I don't know if you heard it because it was kind of under his breath where he says, oh, that's going to be your new name in my phone. (laughs) 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 I miss that, but I love that. It's it's so good. And it's so short. As as you pointed out earlier, you know, she has this facade and underneath it she's just a dirty little mix (laughs) and I'm looking for it. So all this this talk of there was a lot of sex talk in this episode, not just the jizz, but also the threesome and mentions of pegging and strap-ons and the dick pics. Now, this is getting a lot of chat online as well. And someone wrote, Sex in the City was great how they included some subject matter that was very sexual. It was very funny and witty and edgy. But this sledgehammer approach is too much. This feels much more full on, much more vulgar. It feels like we're seeing a lot more sex in this season of And Just Like That than we did in Series 1. Is it fun and cheeky or is it a bit too in your face and a bit too sledgehammer vulgar? Yeah, no. It's like they've said, okay, they're trying to gross us out and they're doing a really good job (laughs) as far as I can tell. Nothing's left to the imagination. It's in your face. There's nothing sexy about it, even though there's a lot of sex. And it's it's almost too woke. Like we're just trying to put it there. And uh, we all like to know that we have active lives, sex lives in our 50s. But do we need to see it? It's a bit like watching mum and dad, you know, when kids are traumatised after they catch their parents having sex in the bedroom. It's like, I, I know it happens, but I don't really need to see it in my face. But is it really that in your face? Because I went back and in the original Sex and the City, 
they actually talked about threesomes. Someone mentioned they talked about strap-ons. And don't forget about the episode of Samantha and the Funky Spunk. So what is different about Samantha and the Funky Spunk back then versus the girls all talking about Harry not being able to come now? Like, it's, it's the same subject matter. Why does it feel so different to us now? So... What I want to be clear on is I loved that Harry's uh, dust ball scene and I think that is perfect and on brand and as you said, they discuss spunky funk and all sorts of funk in the original series. What is different is I think we've got to put it down, I'm going to call it out, it's really down to the in-your-face constant, like constant uh, Che and Miranda scenes, which are just being forced down our throat and it's too much. So I'm not saying overall there's too much sex. I'm going to pinpoint it down to those two. There's been some commentary that maybe they're trying to overcompensate for the fact that Samantha is not there. Seema seems to have stepped into the Samantha shoes in the friendship department with Carrie, but she is not bringing the sex stuff. And then I saw a fan commenting that Sex in the City was all about sex, yes, but it was the relationships between the people outside of the physical that were interesting and much more complex. And I think we were more invested in the characters and maybe what you're suggesting with Miranda and Che is we're just not invested in their relationship because it's it's not the sex stuff, it's the relationship that is just not connecting. <laughs> flawed, flawed. Well, both flawed, double O-R-E-D, but... Lord, A-W-E-D. Yeah. Uh, first of all, just at the very heart of it, I have no problem with their lesbian relationship. That's actually pretty accurate. And the statistics are that a lot of women over 50 are exploring that. But it's these two actors in particular have no chemistry. Agreed. Um, they are uncomfortable to watch because they don't have that chemistry. Um, Let's go there. Let's go to Miranda, first of all, because... We cannot talk about Miranda in this episode without mentioning Steve. Gone is the old dittery Steve from season one who had one foot in the grave and he's been replaced with Rocky Steve, fit and ripped and a bit of a silver fox. I mean, hello, Steve. Welcome back. Join the party. I I actually, because I was so frustrated with the character that they'd created for Steve who'd become, as you said, you know, a foot in the grave. And I it was welcome back because I think after seeing uh, the lack of chemistry with Che, um, it's nice to see because Steve and Miranda, maybe because we're just so comfortable with them and we've been with them forever, they do have a chemistry. There's still, you know, a nice comfortableness to it. So um, I, it was welcome back, Steve. I agree with you. Even though he's taking his frustrations out on the punching bag. Wow. Cut to the therapist office, Brady, Steve and Miranda. It was so... Was it a reflection of the person Miranda's become that she had nothing to say at the therapist office? Like she literally doesn't want to say anything. She doesn't want to rock the boat. And it's only later when she's talking to Carrie and she says, I know I blew the family up. I'm not allowed to take up any more space in this relationship. And that's the most real we've seen Miranda this series. The old Miranda is smart enough to kind of get that. You just gave me goosebumps, which is very strange. I don't know if it's cold in my house. But um, I think you're right. I think it's because it hit uh, the real transaction that you do make if you are the cheater in a relationship. And I know this from past experience in, you know, a marriage. 
if you are the one that has been cheated on, you kind of have a forever upper hand <laughs> being able to make some calls because the other person has to live with that guilt forever of blowing up the family. That that kind of is possibly a very real realistic um, way to feel, I think, because she just feels that overwhelming sense of guilt and therefore she just has to forever shut up, which I'm not saying is right. I'm just saying that is an understandable the dynamic in a marriage where one person's cheated. Yes. Right now she is, as she says, she's in the dog box and how long she stays in the dog box, you know, it's not a forever <laughs> thing. But now she's in the dog box and she doesn't get to say boo uh, because ultimately it always comes back to, well, we're here because of you. Yeah. And you read that scene looking at it from the marriage dynamic, but I read that scene from what happens later when she's talking to Carrie. She she doesn't want to talk to the therapist, but she offloads everything to Carrie, and that is that best friend dynamic that I love, which is the core of this show, is women talking to each other and being real and, and saying things to your best friend you can't even say to a therapist. I yeah, I think you're seeing it as more a reflection of and how lost Miranda has become. Uh, whereas I saw that as quite a realistic presentation of what goes on in a marriage when someone has cheated. Mm-hmm. Carrie and Miranda go to visit Che. Now, I am so confused about what happened here, Joe, because the last we saw, Miranda was racing back to New York to be with her son Brady, leaving Che outside the studio where they were recording their pilot. They seemed to have some sort of major tiff. They could have been on the verge of breaking up. And then suddenly Che's moving into a new apartment in New York. Has Che left LA? Has Che finished the taping of the pilot? I I can't understand. It's like there's just a bunch of random scenes they've shot between Miranda and Che and they've just thrown them on the screen together. But there's no continuous plot. Did I miss something? No, but it's funny you're asking those questions. I actually thought I hadn't even bothered to think about them because they are such an unlikable character in so many ways. Um and but that's the why plot they're... doesn't work. I don't. I want to know what happened. Like I'm the same as you. I don't like their dynamic. I don't really care about their relationship because I don't like who Miranda is in that dynamic in that relationship. But I would kind of like to know why Che is suddenly in New York when the last we saw Che was recording a pilot and living in LA. Yeah, I think the fact is IKEA furniture is supposed to inter- intimate it semi permanent. Yeah, I just wish. The storytelling made a little more sense. But anyway, here we are. Che is in New York with Lyle. And when Carrie walked in and Lyle was there, I got so excited because I don't know if you heard in a previous episode when Lyle appeared, I was like, I cannot wait for Carrie and Lyle to get it on because I think there's some something there. But the moment Carrie walked in the door and they met and Carrie's like, oh, I see you're a man with a ring on every finger. I was like, there is nothing happening between those two. No. Um, and that would have been a perfect coupling now that you say that. And I love a man in rings. Who doesn't love oh, a man no, in rings? Oh, no, I can't do the No, a ring on every finger? Really? I... Oh, he had that hairdresser side to him. No, I, I'm I'm liking that. I'm liking him, you know, not not that he's any Aiden. I'm not suggesting that, but it could have been a nice flirtation. See, I think he um, had but... a touch of the Aidens about him, which is why I thought when he first appeared on screen in the other episode when he picked Miranda up from the beach, I was like, oh, Carrie and Lyle together, but... As soon as they met and they were in the same room together, I thought, mm, no. But we did get to find out more about his story and how he ended up being married to Che. And 
Lyle starts talking about pegging and Miranda's talking about strap-ons. And I think in that moment, Carrie was all of us, where Carrie goes, oh, my God, how am I still in this room? And I was like, that's exactly what I would say. I would feel uncomfortable in that chat. Would you? No, I would have loved it. I would have asked, been asking more questions, intrigued about how it all works and, and what's going on. So, no, I wouldn't have. But it was true to character for, for Carrie to exit quickly. <laughs> I would have stayed for sure. But... Lyle and Che call themselves poly pioneers, poly pioneers. And then, of course, we cut to Miranda in bed with Che and Lyle and there's the chat about the threesome. Okay. Yeah. It made sense to me in that moment that Miranda would want to give it a try because she's trying all of these new things sexually and enjoying them and she'll also basically do whatever Che wants her to do. But... When she decides to leave the bedroom, you know, it's because she insists that she doesn't mind. But, you know, only hours beforehand, she's totally miffed that uh, that Lyle's still in Che's apartment. So that didn't work, that she's so uncomfortable initially. And then she's, oh, he's in the bed. Let's just have, you know, throw the leg over. So clearly Miranda is a totally confused mess right now. So maybe that does sort of work. She, as you said, is going along. Um, Che is pushing her boundaries big time. And she's up for the exploration and I don't have a problem with that, but she's so in love and smitten with Che that it didn't work for me that she'd be, oh, it's okay. Well, clearly she's saying it's okay. Maybe inside we're going to learn that she's really not okay. Yeah, I thought it was weird too, the fact that she's like, I'm going to exit the bedroom, but hey, Che, you and Lyle, carry on without me. Really? Was she really okay with it or did she just want Che to think she didn't care, so she didn't upset Che. Well, I think that's going to be about the only interesting thing about Miranda's character arc this season is how far she is willing to be pushed to please Che. It's a bit like the new kid at school who's, you know, taking drugs because they want to be cool. It's just when is she going to find, as you, the word you used earlier, find her own agency again and, you know, put some boundaries up about what she's comfortable with and what she isn't. Che and Miranda, all I can say, I'm exhausted by them. I can't. I just can't anymore. I can't keep up. They're the most exhausting to watch couple on screen, ever to grace our screens, I think. They just aren't fun to watch. It is hard work. As I said, and I'm only just thinking this as we're chatting, maybe it will be interesting if it pushes Miranda in the direction of finding herself again or you know, just losing the plot entirely. Let's see. Lisa and Herbert, so their kids go off to summer camp and they're sitting at that bar, that very fancy bar, having like $80 cocktails. So they're, they're having drinks and he says he's thinking of running for city comptroller, right, which is basically like New York's chief financial officer, big job. He says he really wants to do it, but maybe when the kids are older. And he says, if I do it, everything at home is going to fall on you and that's unfair. And I, I love this. A man who doesn't just expect that his career should take priority. That relationship dynamic is a really beautiful thing. And I think if I was married, I would want my husband to care as much about my career and well-being as he does about his own. And we just don't see it very often. And I thought it was lovely. Why are you scrunching your nose up at me like I've said the most bizarre thing? Because it's so naff, so unrealistic. But, yeah, the idea of it seems kind of preposterous. So you're loving these two. I find them so naff. Oh, I can't with them. They're just, you know, her office in the bedroom and 
It's just ridiculous. <laughs> it's preposterous and it's just, it seems really caricaturish. Oh, no. Almost- I love them. I did think it was weird with the party invitations. He stuffs it up and forgets to send the invites. Come on, he has an assistant that would do that. But it brought back the mother-in-law, Mother Wexley, who is the unhappiest, most unlikable woman. Yeah, let's just, when are they going to tell her to just shut up? Just shut up already. To me, the untruest bit about that, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe my relationship with my parents is different, but... At our age, your parents kind of aren't that interfering at that at this stage in our lives. I think there are mother-in-laws that are like that. And I the whole dinner party thing of the anniversary was a bit stupid, but there was that one moment that I took away from it was when Herbert's mother's having a go at Lisa for working and not being home to support her husband and not doing the cake. And Herbert stays quiet. When Lisa's dad says something about Herbert and how he only works for the money and all he cares about is the money, Lisa jumps in straight away to defend him, so much so that she lies to support him and stick up for him and say, oh, no, he is running for city comptroller. So he needs to step up and support his wife more and tell his mother to back off. In an idealistic world, Sammy, in an idealistic (laughs) world. Don't you wish he'd stand up for his wife a bit more, though, around that awful human being that is his mother? I wish they both would. I wish, yeah, I I wish she was out of it. I don't know why I'm even watching it. I don't actually care about them. Why are they in this series still? I don't want to waste any more airtime on them. The great thing about that whole scene was it gave us the opportunity for Marcus, the art gallery guy, to turn up and offer Charlotte a job. I would have said in season one, I think we had this conversation, absolutely, she needs to get a job, she needs to go back to work. But I changed my mind in this episode and I'm not so desperate for her to go back to work. Why? That moment at the table when she's chatting to the art gallery guy and he's getting texts from his 10-year-old daughter about wanting to come home from summer camp and Charlotte talks him through it and talks about how both her kids were homesick the first time they went to summer camp and she confiscates the guy's phone and says, don't answer it. If your daughter smells weakness, she's going to go in for the kill. Charlotte, with this incredible sound parenting advice, Charlotte is in her happy place being a mum and she even says I'd love to go back to work but not right now my kids need me even more these days she can always go back to work down the track maybe it's my own jealousies but I would love to see her struggle with the workload as well as parenting because just because you're not a stay-at-home mum doesn't mean you can't be an equally fabulous mum Also, her children are teenagers now. Trust me, it goes like that. In five years' time, they'll be out of home, not needing her. Maybe she can go back part-time. Well, there you go. Maybe. See, at the moment, I just feel like she is in a very lucky and fortunate position where she clearly doesn't need to work. I think she is in her very happy place being that person and being that full-time mum. So let her be it. You're right. And she is a fantastic wife. Let's be honest. When Harry has his, you know, dust ball scene, she's straight there, you know, one, the kegels. two, three, four, slurp that, what did she say? Slurp that pelvic muscle off the floor or something. That's great. It's like, she's like team coach. She's there. So maybe you're right. She's a champion for others. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see what happens there. She probably will end up going back to work, but if she doesn't, I'm okay with it. This has been such a great chat. Before I let you go, I have to know your thoughts as president of the Aiden fan club. What are your thoughts about the big man coming back? I'm worried because we're over halfway through the season or getting there and we haven't seen a sign of him. And so if it's going to be a real romantic arc for Carrie, how is there time? 
if Aiden only gets a cameo, it will be a waste of that man and that man's talents. Right, so you want to see more than one episode. Does that mean you actually want them to be in a relationship again, have the whole love story? I've always, I've always, do you know what? The only uh, reason I can forgive Carrie for choosing big in the first place is with the idea that they might actually end up together. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I will get you back for the first episode that Aiden appears in because I just couldn't imagine having that conversation about that episode with anyone but you, Joe Casamento. Say, my heart is jumping out of my skin at the thought of seeing that man on screen again. Well, it's been too long, Sammy. I'm going to go and have to watch old episodes. <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. Love you. This episode brought to you by Lano Lips, voted world's best lip balm and proudly made in Australia. You can find out more at lanolips.com.au.